U.S. Outpost 31, Antarctica, a research station completely isolated for a thousand miles. Its inhabitants, 12 researchers and a few dogs, but something else hides among them, an alien being that can shapeshift into any living thing by assimilating the host. Nobody is safe, everyone is potentially a monster, and paranoia runs rampant in one of the greatest cult classics of all time, John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And it's time for Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, horror fans. Got a fun one for you today. One of my absolute favorite horror movies still holds up after nearly 40 years thanks to great acting, brilliant writing, and some of the most incredible practical effects ever put to film. We hope you had fun with last week's Harry Potter episode. We know we didn't go too in-depth on each film. It was intended to be a bare-bones overview that provided us with an opportunity to talk about what the franchise meant to us personally. And uh, we'll probably do, you know, Harry Potter updates here and there for, for the remainder of this podcast. Because it will be a part of pop culture forever. Yeah. But if you wanted more, sorry. But, you know, we do what we can. In just a few weeks, Weird Shit Wednesday will be upon us yet again for our 45th episode. We could have done a celebration of classic Christmas movies or something holiday-related, but we don't play by the rules here at Filmgasm. So we're doing a spotlight on two films that very nearly destroyed one of the most profitable superhero franchises of all time, 1995's Batman Forever and 1997's Batman and Robin. The campy-as-fuck, incredibly-dated, horribly-acted, and even more horribly-written Batman films directed by Joel Schumacher. Hear the story of how these monstrosities came into being and the planned sequel that never was. So many interesting stories surround these two movies, from the feud between Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones to the rumor that George Clooney still gives fans their money back if they request it. Tune in to hear Austin and I kick some serious ice. It's going to be fun. Oh, yes. (laughs) Lots of shit talking. Oh, my God. Two of the worst superhero movies ever made. Killed Batman for ten years. (laughs) Ugh. Until like a yeah young Christopher Nolan yeah. came along yeah he like, he had to like prove himself so perfectly like there was no that movie couldn't be okay Batman Begins had to be incredible yeah for this to work yeah and thank God it was oh man before we break into this week's horror flick let's get into the rewind where we look into past episodes in search of updates I've only got one for you today. But it's a funny little fan theory I found regarding episode 40, Harry Potter. And it does have to do with the holidays. The theory explains that in the Harry Potter universe, Santa Claus is a real wizard who has lived for centuries thanks to the power of the Philosopher's Stone, which he was able to create and use. He brings gifts to muggle children using the flu network and an extension charm on his bag of toys. He enchants the magic sleigh and the reindeer, and he uses a time-turner to deliver all the gifts in one night. (laughs) Just thought that was funny and worth mentioning. What do you think about that? It's plausible. It's plausible, yeah. It's just goofy. In JK's (laughs) world, it's plausible, yeah. Santa Claus is a wizard. Why the fuck not? Or wait, what's JK's real name? Joanne. Joanne. In Joanne's world, it's possible. Ah, yes. Yes, yes. (laughs) Kill the spell! Now, time for a film that could be considered John Carpenter's masterpiece, The Thing. What's your history with this film? Ah, The Thing. Let's tell a story. So, Connor and I used to work together, right? Of course, uh, if you've listened to us before, you know that we worked together at the Alamo Draft House in Stone Oak. Woo! 
San Antonio. Um, and you know, we neither of us worked there uh, anymore. But uh, thank Christ, there was a time it was about a year, I guess, we worked there together. Mm-hmm. We're close to it, and um, we immediately found out this guy likes movies. And when you find that out, you kind of test the waters with one with one another. Uh, what what is this guy like? What what does he actually know? <laughs> And we both, you know, we both like threw stuff at each other, and we we play the six degrees game with with each other, like, hey man, to see if you can connect these two actors and uh, stuff like that. And so, you know, with that obviously comes movie recommendations and suggestions. And uh, we were talking about, I don't know, I think we were talking about Halloween, probably Carpenter's Halloween '78. Uh, and <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's awesome, it's a classic. And then. We, you know, Connor immediately went to all the thing, like, and I was like, ah, man, I haven't seen that one. And he, like, you know, he looked at me the only time, this is the only time he's ever looked at me like that, you know, like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? It was okay that I hadn't seen Assault on Precinct 13, because that's understandable. The thing is an undisputed horror icon. Yeah. The Maybe the best monster movie of all time. Maybe. Probably, probably. What's better? I don't know. Don't know. Uh, they don't. They don't make them like this anymore. Clearly, Christ Almighty. Yeah, we're gonna get into this later. But I, you know, I'm. I saw this movie the first time when I was 22 years old, um, and that's ridiculous. You know, that's really upsetting uh, that I didn't see it like when I was a kid because it would have changed my fucking life. Yep. Uh, but it did now. You know, <laughs> it did now. And, uh, I was telling Connor before we started recording, I was like, man, because I watched this a uh, couple nights ago, and then I watched it again today, because I love it now, and it's like 100% in my fucking wheelhouse, like, <laughs> it's it, it's in me, you know, I just inject that shit into my veins. Uh, You're welcome. I, I know, thank you very much. Um, you, you Yeah, you've, you've done this time and time again, you know. And you, for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of part of the podcast, too, is that we both both are growing yeah. um, and hopefully the listeners are watching things and growing as well or or just learning new things about something they already loved and that's probably what we're going to be doing a lot today with the thing because it is a classic yeah um but yeah i just want to point out that i i you know i've seen this only five times i think you know I, five or six one of those and i adore it it's only going to get better and better to me because it's obviously timeless it's it's almost 40 years old which blows your mind when you watch it now uh, and, and Kurt Russell. <laughs> oh, boy. This guy. Uh, you know, for, as a kid, all I knew him in was a Miracle. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's just some background, you know, on the thing, for what it is for me. But now it's, like, t- to me, one of the quintessential 80s movies. Uh, and horror movies and monster movies and carpenter movies. <laughs> and like you said, it could be seen as his masterpiece. Um, we'll get into why that why that is. Uh, later, but yeah, uh, sorry to ramble, but my God, it's um, it's a wonderful experience to to be in Carpenter's world, like all in now, and I'm I'm going to see everything. You know, I I, I love this man. I love him. He's a talented guy, and the thing is one of his greatest achievements. Indeed, and not a lot of people thought that at the time, which is really sad. That happens, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, <coughs> it's we we'll talk about. I'll, I'll, we have a good bonus coming for you later in oh, the yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk about that. It's it. There's the the like longevity that Carpenter movies have, where they kind of like age like wine. <laughs> yeah, you know they just get they just get better because people don't quite catch on uh, early on. He's ahead of his time. Yeah, so it takes like <laughs> it takes some time for people to 
to understand what a classic is, and that's what the thing is, is a classic. So Yeah, for sure. Super excited to talk about it today. The Thing was one of the earliest horror films I ever saw, and it, my parents should not have shown me this movie. I was like eight or nine years old. Oh my goodness. They had forgotten. They hadn't seen it in like 20 years. They didn't know what they were doing. That happens a lot, yeah. And they, they had, we had a tape. We had the VHS of The Thing, and they put it on. And at first, I'm like, this is boring. Who are these? You know, what's going on here? Why is there a oh, as a kid, what does that mean to you, the Norwegian guys? Yeah. And then the dog's head ripped open, and I'm like, oh, whoa. And the next thing I remember is my mom's hand flying over my eyes, and that's how I watched the rest of the movie. <laughs> the best part of that story is they didn't turn it off. He'll <laughs> like, be fine. He'll be fine. Just cover his eyes for those And it parts. fucked me up, because that... And I was really young seeing some horrific shit in that movie. Yeah. And it pretty much it helped shape my love of horror. So I'll always be indebted to this movie. That's that's incredible. incredible. <laughs> I still I still give my mom shit about that. Like, remember when you showed me the thing when if I was you, a kid? If you had a kid, what age would you let them watch the thing? Oh fuck. 13, 14. You know, you know, like actually yeah. watch. Yeah, sit down yeah. and watch it. I'm not showing this to my, you know, my nine year old. No. no, Jesus Christ! I'd right? Be, like, let's sit down and watch the thing. thing. Yeah, I'd no. be afraid to fuck them up. Yeah, <laughs> I handled it well. I don't know how. You know, I could give my kid night terrors. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was watching Miracle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew who Kurt Russell was from the very beginning. <laughs> oh boy. The Thing was released in 1982 and was a remake of the 1951 sci-fi horror flick The Thing from Another World. Have you seen that? I have not. I've always wanted to. I want to get my hands on that for sure. We will definitely do an update on that one day. And that was directed by Carpenter's idol, Howard Hawks. Exactly, yeah. That film was based on the 1938 novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. And Carpenter's movie is actually much more faithful to that novella. The film was initially a box office failure, grossing only $19 million on a budget of $15 million. A big reason for its failure was that it was released two weeks after E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which took a light-hearted, optimistic approach to alien visitors. The Thing, as we know, did not. Like most of Carpenter's work, The Thing found its audience later on with television and VHS. Since its release, critics have taken a new shine to it, as have audiences, and it's regarded as one of Carpenter's best films and one of the most influential horror and sci-fi films ever made. It has an IMDb score of 8.1 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 84%. The film was directed by John Carpenter, who we've talked about before in our Halloween episode and our Assault on Precinct 13 bonus episode. He's the king of the cult classic, and he's had very few immediate hits. Almost all of his films were rediscovered later and became cult classics, like Escape from New York, They Live, The Fog, and of course The Thing. The Thing was one of the rare instances where Carpenter didn't compose his own music, instead bringing on Oscar winner and film score legend Ennio Morricone, who remarkably won his first Oscar for 2015's The Hateful Eight, a film, oh. a film which incorporated some unused music from The Thing. It's crazy. He won his first Oscar after achieving after getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. He was 88 years old. Incredible. <sighs> He was also nominated for Best Original Score for his work on 1978's Days of Heaven, 1986's The Mission, 1987's The Untouchables, 1991's Bugsy, and 2000's Malena. And he also won an Honorary Lifetime Achievement Award in 2007, but he's perhaps best known for his work on Sergio Leone's Dollars Trilogy, 1964's A Fistful of Dollars, 
1965's For a Few Dollars More, and 1966's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Arguably the most iconic Western score of all time. Yes. Morcone became synonymous with the Spaghetti Western, thanks to Leone's work. He also did Once Upon a Time in the West, and a lot of other incredible movies. Morcone is a goddamn legend. There's so much work. Quentin Tarantino has also incorporated some of his other film scores in his films Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. And one last tidbit, Morricone was nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Original Score for The Thing. You believe that shit? God, his score is so perfect. It's just... Like that. That's all. So creepy. The Shining got a Razzie, right? Yeah. yeah. People just... I don't get it. The 80s, man. People didn't get it. Oh, no, no. People definitely didn't get what was good. <laughs> the early 80s, like, horror films couldn't catch a fucking break. Yeah, no. <laughs> the remarkable special effects were done by Rob Botton, who received an Oscar nomination for his makeup work on 1985's Legend, as well as a Special Achievement Oscar for his work on 1990's Total Recall. Some of his other special effects work include 1981's The Howling, 1983's Twilight Zone The Movie, 1987's The Witches of Eastwick, 1987's RoboCop, 1995's Seven, and 1999's Fight Club. Rob Botton studied under legendary creature effect artist Rick Baker, the man whom the best makeup category at the Oscars was created, thanks to his magnificent work on An American Werewolf in London. When he was 14, Botton sent Baker a fan letter with a picture he drew, hoping for an autograph. Baker was so impressed with Botton's ability as an artist that he offered to take Botton on as an apprentice. And I would say The Thing is Botton's best work, and we have Rick Baker's great judgment to thank for it. The special effects in this movie will never be surpassed. It's unfucking believable still to this day. <laughs> yeah. It's all puppetry, practicality, yeah. KY Jelly, and Raspberry Jam. It's fucking brilliant. It's amazing. It's like a, it's like, it's like some kids for a fucking science project. Yeah. It's so cool. And it's some of the freakiest monster effects ever. Yes, yes. They've tried to replicate it with computers, and they can't fucking do it. Nope. <laughs> nope. Now, this was like the guy's like second or third movie. He was still studying under Rick Baker at the time. And Jesus, talk about you know the student becoming the master. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this was funny. The film was written by Bill Lancaster, whose only other screenplays in his career were for 1976's The Bad News Bears and 1978's The Bad News Bears Go to Japan. <laughs> That's it. His entire career, those three films. How bizarre. What a strange bundle. That's awesome. The Bad News Bears, Bad News Bears Go to Japan, and The Fucking Thing. <laughs> what, what the hell? Awesome run. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Jesus. And he never did anything else. <laughs> I'm out. <coughs> I, have, I have done what I came here to do. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Carpenter was approached about doing The Thing in 1976. But Universal chose Toby Hooper instead, since Carpenter was an independent director and Hooper was under contract with them. You know Hooper as the guy who didn't direct Poltergeist. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. He also is known for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and we talked about him at length in Poltergeist. Producers were unhappy with Hooper's concept, and after a host of other pitches, Universal shelved the project. It was the success of 1979's Alien that brought interest back to the project and Carpenter became considered due to his success with Halloween. Sci-fi horror became popular with Alien because people, you know, the studio saw that this could win. Yeah. This could be profitable. The film stars Kurt Russell as helicopter pilot R.J. McCready, 
who takes charge of the situation and tries to keep everyone alive. Russell worked with Carpenter in 1981's Escape from New York, which turned Russell into an action hero in some circles. He was a Disney kid who no studio wanted as a leading man, but Carpenter fought for him. He later did The Thing, 1986's Big Trouble in Little China, and 1996's Escape from L.A. for Carpenter. He's had a wild career of great cult classics like Tombstone, Stargate, 3,000 Miles to Graceland, and Death Proof, just to name a few. Have you ever seen 3,000 Miles to Graceland? I have not. That's a weird fucking movie, but it's yeah. really cool. Awesome. I, I'm, I'm sure I'd enjoy it. Uh, Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner are uh, Elvis impersonators. Sold. Who are robbing a casino with a gang of Elvis impersonators. It's fucking crazy. Sold. <laughs> I'm in. Russell's recently had a career resurgence after appearing in the Fast and Furious franchise as CIA mystery man Mr. Nobody and in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 as Ego the Living Planet. I personally love him in 1980s used cars. <laughs> I f- that's one of my favorites of his. What a call. So funny. <laughs> right before Escape from New York, right before he took off, used cars. <laughs> used cars. Check that out, guys. Robert Zemeckis. Hilarious movie. Wilfred Brimley plays Blair, the biologist on site who first discovers the organism's properties and trashes the radio and chopper to ensure it doesn't escape. For the longest time, I didn't know Wilfred Brimley was an actor. I just knew him as the unofficial face of diabetes after he appeared in all of those commercials where he would announce that he had diabetes. Yes, as he would diabetes. pronounce it. Yeah, I haven't said diabetes in years because of this guy. It's always yeah, diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> but apart from that, Brimley has appeared in films like Tender Mercies, The Natural, Cocoon, and The Firm, just to name a few. So he's had a successful career, but he's always just been the fucking diabetes guy. Diabetes. (laughs) And he's really good in this. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's the thing. Keith David is Childs, the confrontational mechanic who is very quick to assume McCready's a monster. David also appeared in They Live, Armageddon, and he's done a lot of voice work, including voicing Dr. Facilier in The Princess and the Frog and the U.S. President on Rick and Morty. Hey. Yeah. He's had a very successful career in voice work. He uh, did work, he did voices in the Saints Row games. Oh, nice. Like he's, yeah, he's, he's found a niche. David Clennon is Palmer, the assistant mechanic slash stoner who's handy for some one-liners. Clennon also appeared in The Right Stuff, Being There, Syriana, Flags of Our Fathers, and Gone Girl, just to name a few. And Palmer, what do you think of Palmer? Do I like him? No, but he's necessary, you know? He's, he calls some shit out that needs to be called out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's one of the few guys who realizes the gravity of the situation. He's just not letting it take him over. Yeah, <laughs> Try, trying to stay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I didn't realize it. That's great. But yeah, he is kind of a prick, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Do, it, that's, that's a good character, though. Yeah. Someone that you're kind of conflicted because you're like, ah, I kind of like some of the decisions or things he's doing. You remember but... him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. T.K. Carter plays Knowles, the laid-back cook. He also appeared in Southern Comfort, Space Jam, and a lot of TV. You ever seen Southern Comfort? I have not. It's a crazy fucking movie. Yeah, I've, I've heard, yeah. <laughs> My uncle, one of his all-time favorites. We might have to do one. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. no, I've heard I would really like it. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's nuts. Reminded me a lot of Assault and Precinct. It's like Assault and Precinct 13 in the Bayou, basically. <laughs> yes. I love Knowles. Knowles is one of my favorite guys. Knowles. He's great. Yeah. I love when he's listening to the music and... Yeah, he just doesn't turn it down. It. <laughs> <laughs> His roller skates on. 
Thomas G. Waits plays Windows, the radio operator who has maybe the most grisly death in the movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. yeah. He had a recurring role on HBO's Oz, and he had an uncredited role in The Warriors, but he's mo- he's done mostly bit parts for years. Love him, The Warriors. <laughs> Can you dig it? Yes. So good. Yeah. Donald Moffat plays Gary, the commander of the station and a terrible fucking leader. <laughs> Moffat appeared in The Right Stuff, The Bonfire of the Vanities, Regarding Henry, and Clear and Present Danger, among others. He died in 2018 at age 87 of a stroke. Gary is a fucking terrible leader. He never once does he feel like he's in charge. Well, right from the beginning, he, you know, makes a decision, an executive decision to, to shoot the guy that's shooting at the dog, mm-hmm. the Norwegian guy, and you're like, mm, I don't totally know if that was the right call, you know? So right away, you're like, mm, decision-making, not, you know, five out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Dysart is Copper, the medical doctor. Dysart appeared in Back to the Future Part 3, Pale Rider, Being There, Wall Street, and Todd McFarlane's animated Spawn series. He died in 2015 at age 86 of cancer. And this is the first time I've ever realized that he is the barbed wire salesman in Back to the Future Part 3. I was like, I couldn't fucking believe it. Like, two of my all-time favorite movies, and I never made that connection. How about that? (laughs) Charles Hallahan plays Norris, the geologist whose corpse begins arguably the most memorable scene in the movie. Hallahan also appeared in Dante's Peak, Pale Rider, Silkwood, Twilight Zone the movie, and the TV series Grace Under Fire. He died in 1997 at age 54 of a heart attack, which ironically is the fate that befalls him in this movie. Yes, it is. Well, kind of him. Yeah, yeah. It's weird how that goes down. Like, why is it faking a heart attack? I don't know. (laughs) We'll talk about that. Peter Maloney plays Bennings, the meteorologist. Maloney also appeared in Requiem for a Dream, Manhunter, JFK, The Crucible, Summer of Sam, and Thinner, among others. Dude's had a hell of a career. Jesus. Resume. Some big stuff. And I can't tell you who he is in any of those movies, which is kind of sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, but he's in them. I've seen three of them. I've seen four of those, and I don't fucking know. You're like, "Uh, somewhere. He's there. Joel Polis plays Fuchs, the assistant biologist. Polis appeared in a lot of TV shows as one-off characters. Didn't really do much. No. I like Fuchs, though. Yeah, Fuchs is a great character. Has his head on straight. I love all these characters. They all stand out. That's the craziest (laughs) part. It's a great ensemble. Somehow, they all do with, like... Kurt Russell's the only guy to really take off, but all of them do great. Agreed. Finally, Richard Mazur plays Clark, the dog handler. Mazer appeared in Risky Business, My Girl, and he played adult Stan Uris on the 1990 miniseries It. Cool. And with all that said, let's tell this story. So, our, our uh, primary setting is U.S. Outpost 31 Antarctica. Research team researching something. Ice, probably. And we see a Norwegian helicopter. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. At all. I never that's that's, that carpenter's so fucking good at it. It's like the context doesn't totally matter, like why they're there or how they're there. It's just they're there, so they gotta figure something out. Why are the cops moving out of the station in Assault of Precinct 13? Why is there nobody really hunting down Michael Myers in Halloween? Mm-hmm. Who fucking cares? It's a great just movie. Like, just like life, like things just happen, man. You just gotta react. Yeah, yeah. come on. <laughs> why is Loomis such a goddamn terrible doctor? All right. <laughs> we see a Norwegian helicopter chasing down a sled dog. Epic. Yeah. Epic shots. These are 
this stuff doesn't happen anymore. The attention to detail on, well, it does happen occasionally. I, there's a movie, uh, Ford vs. Ferrari, I think, like, recently where I was like, wow, they're really paying attention to every single fucking shot. Uh, and there are movies, of course, but this one, man, at the beginning of the film, the paying attention, you, you, there's no, you can't escape. There's nowhere to go. You're in Carpenter's mind already because you're like, the fuck, what is this copter doing so goddamn low to the ground, shooting at a dog, you know? You immediately don't know how to feel. They're not speaking English. There's no subtitles. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> it's awesome. It's a, it's one of the best tone setters. But that's what he does. That's what he does. So The film was uh, filmed primarily in uh, British Columbia and uh, sets in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, all the exterior shots are in British Columbia. Yeah, he, the man is a... The, like you said, he's the master of practicality. He's a genius of building, constructing things, and figuring out how... To make things look amazing without spending a lot of money. Yeah. Except for this movie where he went substantially over budget. Well, yeah. What, what is it? 15? Yeah. That's still not crazy, you know? For like, the time, this was a big budget project for him. For sh- for Carpenter, yeah. for sure. I mean, he had just sure. done Escape from New York for like 300 grand. Yeah. <laughs> for less than a million. <laughs> That's a yeah, big yeah. jump. That's huge. That's huge. No, I agree. I just think in the, sch- the big scheme of things, it's not. Like, you know, it's, yeah. I'm so impressed by it for, 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 that, for that price. I'm extremely impressed by it. Oh, big time. The Americans see the Norwegian chopper, and they're like, what the hell's going on there? And the chopper lands, the dog runs over with them, and you just hear this guy screaming Norwegian. Yeah. And if you speak Norwegian, what he's yelling is something like, don't trust that, it's not a dog, it's something, we have to kill it. Like, he tells you the whole movie right there. It's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. No, I looked it up. Yeah, I looked it up because, of course, people have figured this shit out online. That's, like, exactly what he's saying. He's not saying anything with really any depth. It's just leave, like go, like get out of my way. I'm going to shoot this dog. Uh, you know, that's yeah. why he accidentally hit someone else. <laughs> the uh, the chopper lands and one of the the guy accidentally blows up the chopper with a grenade. And he like goes to ch- throw the grenade. He fucking drops it. What? <laughs> He's like trying to cover it up. Or, yeah. <laughs> Come on. That made me laugh. Snow. <laughs> <laughs> and the pilot, who's still alive, he fires a rifle, shoots one of the Americans in the leg. And Gary, the commander, shoots the guy in the head in self-defense. And everybody's just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> why is why were these Norwegians chasing this dog? What's going on here? And let's just talk for a minute. How fucking good is that dog? That dog can act. Yeah. <laughs> that dog deserves the Oscar. It freaked me out how well that dog didn't feel like a dog. Like, he was acting like something else. Well, it would... The dog would even... It would, like, look around yeah, in an alien yeah. way. And, was, and, then, and then, like, the copter would go over it and be like, fuck you, I'm going to go the other way now. Because the copter then would have to turn and, like, turn really wide. And the dog's like... The scenes where it's, like, uh, in the dog cage with the other dogs and it's just, like, you know, like, looking at them. Oh, dude. Like, fucking robotic. It's, I don't understand. How did they train that dog? It's amazing. I don't know. It's like he had the camera on the dog the whole time. And he's like, eventually, we'll get what we need. That fucking husky, man. God. <laughs> I want that dog to get, like, an honorary award. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. Yeah, man, I can't say enough about this tone that is set right away. Lassie, eat your heart out. We got a new dog heart throbbing down. Jesus. (laughs) Oh, man. man. So, the helicopter pilot, R.J. McCready, and the doctor, they want to know what the hell happened, so they leave to go investigate the Norwegian base where these guys came from. Of course they can't ask them because they're both dead now. Yeah. Which is what I'm saying about the the leader, Gary, is like, why are you shooting the guy? We we probably need information from him. He's not... I don't know, but he shot one of them. Ah, But I get his instinct to want to protect his guys. Protect his guys, but 
I feel like after he shoots shoots them, I, I watched this very critically today. And I, I <laughs> adore it, but I just I want to know kind of your 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 input on it. Like, yeah, after he shoots him, yes, I would be in self defense mode. Like, yeah, but I feel like there's enough time in between where no one does anything and he keeps walking past them because I think you see Nalls or. Mm, I can't remember who you see who's, like, in the snow. He's, like, in, like, a pile of snow next to him, and he's like, what the fuck is going on? Just like we are. You kind of see him for a second react to it, just like just like you are. like, Because he doesn't understand what they're saying either, just like we don't, you know, these guys. And then he keeps walking, and he's just walking after the dog. He doesn't shoot any other people, the Norwegian guy. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't even point his gun at any other people. Um, he just, like, keeps walking after the dog. I just, I don't know, I... I don't know, he didn't kill anybody. It was just it seemed like I would want to know what the fuck is going on. Like I would question a grenade just went off, you know. <laughs> this guy's shooting after a dog. What like what is the deal? I kinda wanna know what he's doing. Maybe shoot him, but don't shoot him in the face. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just yeah. I, I feel like I'd want to question him the best I can, even if he doesn't speak our language. Like, what are you talking about, man? Why are you trying to kill this dog? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean it's a, obviously a pick and nit, but I get you. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's what it, it's Gary. That's kind of his character. He's just not a good leader. We find that out, you know, as time goes. So he's not very good at making decisions. Yeah, he's just yeah, and that's ultimately what it is. It's character progression and development without us really even knowing it. It's amazing. And I love that everybody <laughs> just automatically goes to McCready. Like there's <laughs> yeah. no like discussion. Well, wouldn't really. you? <laughs> yeah, I'd go straight to Kurt Russell. Yeah. Yeah, me too. There's a whole bunch of unwritten backstory about him being like a a Marine chopper pilot in Vietnam. Yeah. Saw some shit. And they all trust him implicitly from like some kind of like loyalty. But we don't know how long these guys have been here. Yeah, like you know they're they're clearly they're clearly close. And at one point, uh, Nulls says, "It don't matter. You can be here down here for two hours. It'll make a man mad." You yeah. know, like that's such a great line. Maybe we're at war with Norway <laughs> because it's like early in the movie. There's so many things that are like happening, kind of put you put you into this like trance where you're like you're here with these guys. Buckle in for an hour and fifty minutes. Buckle the fuck in. It's <laughs> great. Setup is fucking brilliant. Yeah, it, yeah. I can't. Yeah, I could ramble on for two hours just about the first ten minutes of this movie. <laughs> so they, McCready and Copper, go to investigate the Norwegian base, and they find just charred ruins and dead dead people everywhere. And what they it's find frightening, frightening scene. There's so many questions you have, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they're big questions. What well, the you hell already happened? have all these questions. Yeah, yeah it just keeps piling on. <clears throat> Excuse me. What the hell happened here? And they find the burned remains of some kind of shape-shifted humanoid freaking creature with, like, two faces, and they don't know what the hell it is. So they bring it back. <laughs> Dude, on, like, you know, the 300th viewing, I just want to be like, fucking leave it. Yeah. Don't, don't pursue this, man. But I guess it wouldn't matter because the fucking dog's already there. True. So there's no nothing they can do at this point. It, this can't have made it better. Couldn't have made it better, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> One, you know, vicious alien monster, or two. Well, it does for us though. Makes it yeah. makes it a kick-ass movie. <laughs> and when they get back, the biologist Blair performs some autopsies, and he finds a normal set of human organs on this thing. And then the dog has just been running around the base this whole time, and then Clark puts it in the kennel with the rest of the rest of the dogs and all of the dogs are immediately like whoa red alert that's not one of us <laughs> and it's a great scene because you start hearing this weird hum 
the dog, the new dog starts shaking and then it just opens up into this freakish monster that starts like sucking up the dogs. It's so vicious and so brutal. You never see this happen to dogs. No, no. Talk about setting your goddamn tone. Yes, dude. <laughs> I'm about, I'm all about it, man. I, I, I'm not like advocating like, you know, hurting animals or, but I like weird shit in movies, you know, and stuff that's like, like you said, who does that with a dog? Who makes it like completely rip itself open from inside out, you know? And there's like these, that noise, all oh, that noise. I can't get it out of my head. I never will. <laughs> but I like, but I like, I love it. You know, um, it's captivating as hell. That's an understatement. But my God, it, it's a that is frightening. We talk, Easily the scariest dog scene of all time. We talk a lot about the special effects. We don't really talk that much about the sound effects. But the sound editing in this is fucking it's great. Right up there with it. Like the guttural roars this thing makes. It's unbelievable. It's perfectly inhuman. Mm-hmm. And you could you could be not know a lick of English, watch this movie, and know exactly what's fucking going on because of the sounds and because of the music. Yeah. And that that that's huge. It like breaks barriers. It like breaks the storytelling is and that's Carpenter, man. You know, that's that's him. That's, you never get a sense of evil about this creature either. It's like it's it's just pure animal instinct. Yeah, yeah. It's survival. Instinct is the best way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucked up, but it's it's survival. That's what it has to do, yeah. Yeah. I have my own theory that this is not what was flying that ship. This is a... I think this is a biological weapon created by the alien that was flying the ship. Oh, okay. And it killed the alien, absorbed it, <coughs> and now has been running free. That's what I think happened. That's plausible for sure, yeah. I don't know, just... It's fun to think about. I think this the fact that this thing attacks on a molecular level. I feel like this was designed. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. It's almost like nothing... Nothing... Nothing human or nothing, like... Nothing living that wasn't made by, like, a man or, like, an alien, like you said, would be able to, to operate off instinct like that so quickly. Nothing natural. Nothing... Everything is, like, too selfish. <laughs> it's a... Like, it feels like a weapon. Like a search-and-destroy infiltration yes, weapon. More of an automatic, yeah, yeah, rather than a... Yeah. Like, this yeah. is something you drop into enemy territory. No emotion. No emotion. Yeah. No, yeah. No hesitation. No surrender. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm picturing like just like backstory on this thing where it's just wearing like a green beret bandana holding like an M16 just like <laughs> like we're in the shit now. Just here, like, crazy. Alien Vietnam. Face down in the muck. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. That's good. Well, it's not a literal connection to Vietnam. But <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm going to drink my coffee. So... The alarm goes off because Clark walks in and sees the fucking dog monster eating his dogs. Yeah. And is like, ah, you know, he freaks out. Clark? Clark does not react like a human right there. Because I would have been... Yeah, nobody screams. He's like, ah, I think I'm just going to close the gate. (laughs) You fucking kidding me, man? I'm I'm surprised he didn't, like, start whistling and just walk away. Yeah. (laughs) Fucking Clark, man. Not my department. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah. McCready, you got something here. Yeah. yeah. But the alarm gets the team going, and they're all like, what the hell's going on? And they go to find out. They see Clark just standing there, like, dumbstruck. And they look in the cage, and they see the swirly fucking tentacle alien monster 
Childs has a flamethrower. It's like silly string from fucking hell, man. Yeah. That's what's going on right, right there. And he burns it. Oh, boy. Can you imagine being in that cage, like, in there, inside of that with those dogs? Like, oh, my God. Just the way the other dogs are reacting alone, just like, they're just itching to get out of there. And you're like, ah. it makes me kind of uncomfortable. It's a great metaphor for what's going to happen to them. Because the whole base is one big cage. Exactly. There's nowhere to go. They're trapped. Exactly. They're locked in here with this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Symbolism. Yeah, man. It's John Carpenter. It's so perfect. <laughs> This guy knew exactly what he wanted to do with every frame of this movie. And that's what, that's like, that's such, that's so cool because when you say the thing, you in your mind and like you and I as fans of it, and when you've seen it, like someone who's seen it, you know exactly what we're talking about, you know? You know, you know exactly where your mind goes. Yeah. You can't explain it. You can't put your finger on it, but you know exactly what it is. And that's what Carpenter created. (laughs) I want to know, like, why did they just have flamethrowers lying around. I mean... I don't know. That's not something that I would. I think a lot of research stations just have on hand is a flamethrower. Several flamethrowers. I mean, no, it's really, really cold there. So I, I know they need heat quickly, but a flamethrower? I don't know, <laughs> you know if that's I mean? how they're warming up in the Arctic. No, it's, no, it's not. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to find something, yeah. uh, a reason. Uh, maybe they're just big Rick Dalton fans. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> it's a collector's item. <laughs> Man. So Blair autopsies this new creature, and he quickly learns that this whatever this thing is, it can imitate other life forms. Like, perfectly, down to the molecule. To the point where you can't tell if this thing is human or not. Except for the eyes. Except for the eyes. You've read that theory? I right? have, yeah. yeah. Palmer has no light in his eyes. Yeah. I, I, that's how I kind of, like, go, go about it. Yeah. It's cool, like... After you've seen this a whole bunch of times, you remember who's human and who's not. It's cool to watch the performances of who's not human and it's see amazing. if you can find little cracks in their armor. Uh, and most of the time, you fucking can't. <laughs> That's the scariest part. You're still like, wait a minute. Who? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you forget. Like, who is it? Because <laughs> there's enough characters for you to kind of get a little bit lost. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about, you know. It's great. It's great. Hasn't, well, a guy, hasn't a guy done that, like, in Pulp Fiction or something? I don't know. Tarantino kind of does that. <laughs> what do you mean? With his characters, where you kind of get lost in... There's so many, but so few. Yeah. Where you're kind Well, that's every, the power of a good everyone's ensemble. Everyone's so important. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like That writing, that kind of writing is just different, you know? Oh, very true. Very true. Carpenter's fucking great at that. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, if, I have if a you cold. Say, uh, yeah, we're all good. <laughs> Talking about the thing. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, if you, you can say... Ten words in a Carpenter film, but might have one of the most impactful roles of your career. Yeah, <laughs> so extremely. You know, no small parts. In a, exactly, in a everything film. matters. And that, and again, that's like you know, that's Tarantino. That's like these guys. It's like a cycle. These guys that like like each other and respect each other's work. You know, Tarantino looks up to him, and it shows. <laughs> so they're start. Uh, they go over the uh, data from the Norwegian site, and they see. That they found something in the ice, some kind of, you know, they excavated something. So they go out, they fly out to the McCready and I think one other guy, they fly out to the site and they find a partially buried alien spacecraft, a giant UFO, and nobody reacts to it, which kind of bothered me. Like, if you found that in the ice, acknowledge that you found that in the ice. (laughs) I would. I would. Acknowledge that you have proof that alien life exists, and guys, it is vicious. Guys, I mean, 
We need to document this shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> and they find a smaller human-sized dig site, which means that the Norwegians found the ship and they found the, the pilot. And the pilot woke up. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy, man. <laughs> and Norris estimates that the ship has likely been in the ice for 100,000 years at least. Jesus. And at the beginning of the movie, you see this thing crash into a primordial earth, which is pretty cool. It is awesome. <laughs> Blair grows paranoid that the creature, if given enough time, could take over the entire planet in like 24 hours. Awesome scene. Yeah, just the computer image. Yes. The generation. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Probability like, that te- like one or two team members is infected, like 65%. Exactly. Oh, God. So really, simple, but so effective. Just really incredible. Yeah, telling you what you kind of already know, you know, but in such a cool way on the computer. We didn't talk about one of my favorite parts of the movie at the beginning. Yeah. Is when uh, Kurt Russell's playing chess wizard. <laughs> yeah. And he has his whiskey and he's... Cheating bitch. <laughs> he pours it into it because he... I just... I, I think about that kind of stuff a lot in movies because I'm thinking like, man, what was that decision? Like, they made that decision for that character, Kurt Russell, to be playing... A chess game on the computer, and it it makes you feel like I kind of relate to him because that's what I would be doing if I was in this situation. I'd be like, what kind of game can I play? What can I do to like pass the time? What can I get better at? You know, what could I compete? Is there anything? And chess wizard, that'd be perfect <laughs> to like consume your time, and, like con- you know, consume you. And I, I just like I love that because you get a feel for him. And you're like, oh, this guy obviously drinks. <laughs> He's a bit arrogant. Yeah, and you're just like, doesn't like playing, to lose. He's playing chess on the computer. This is great. Yeah. And the voice of the chess game is Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, yeah that's, that's mainly what I was yeah. setting up. Yeah, Pretty it's cool. great. I These plot summaries don't have every little bit, and we do our best, but yeah, I just want to point that out before we get going again. <laughs> it's a very funny scene. Oh, yeah. So, Blair decides to take matters into his own hands, and he sabotages the helicopter and all the vehicles kills all the dogs that are still alive and destroys the radio. He cuts them off from society because they have to kill this thing or it's going to kill the entire planet. And the team imprisons him in a tool shed. It's kind of kind of cold considering like it's you know below freezing out there. Yeah, like he could die. Yeah. But they're just like, fuck it. He's, a, he's dangerous. <laughs> he's lost his mind. And the dead, malformed... The creature that's dead, it comes back to life. And that's such a freaky scene. You just see it moving under the blanket. Oh, I forgot about that. This um, this most recent viewing. And I was like, whoa. That's powerful. Yeah. If, that you you see me. something that you kind of forget about. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. Bennings, no. <laughs> and it starts eating Bennings. And uh, Windows walks in on it and sees Bennings just getting, like, sucked into this just ravaged creature. He's covered in muck. He's got the slithery tentacles on him. It's vicious, and he goes and gets McCready, and they find Bennings half-formed in the snow, where he looks just like him, but he's got, like, a big old alien hand. Yep. And he just does this freaky roar at them, and they burn him alive. So that's one That's not Bennings. No. (laughs) Bennings is dead. (laughs) Copper suggests that in order to to determine who is infected and who's not, they have a blood test. They compare everybody's blood to this uncontaminated blood that they have in storage, but then they go to get they go to get the blood and they find that it's been destroyed. The blood's been ripped apart, and the men immediately think it's Gary because he has the only key, and they lose faith in him immediately. 
Man, that scene is so cool when they're figuring out the key situation. They all like, just start turning on each other immediately. Well, and, and and you know, of course, Kurt Russell's like trying to be like even even killed, and he's like, "Who has the keys? Who could possibly get in?" He's like, "Well, I have the keys. He's, I want to give them to him when he can use when he when he asks for them." Yeah. He's like, and "But I always like, give them back." Uh, <laughs> am I uh, watching Clue right now? <laughs> it's yeah, amazing, man. dude. Amazing. It's crazy how they all just immediately go straight to every man for himself. Yeah, because. There's no way to trust they anybody. They, too, are like, I need to survive. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. So, McCready takes command of the situation. He's in charge now. And and he, he makes it clear to Childs. He was like, no. Someone who's a little more even-tempered yeah. is going to have the, 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 the weapon. I yeah. love that. He's just like, well, might as well be me. McCready's like, no, 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 no. It's going to be somebody who can yeah. think their way through this. Stop that. Yeah, because you, you react way too hastily, <laughs> Childs. I love that McCready even let them have a choice. Yeah, I know. It's like great. it was going to be anybody like else. Like it was going to be a vote. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, McCready, Windows, and Nalls find Fuchs' burnt corpse. And they surmise he committed suicide to avoid getting eaten by this thing. But how did he, So he killed himself by burning himself alive? Yeah, that's not... Mm, I don't know. That's, I, that's not how I'd go out. No. I... <laughs> I hope I wouldn't go out like that. Just ah, fuck it. Burn yourself? No, I just don't see that. That's it's like jumping into a meat grinder feet first. Like that's a bad idea. Yeah, to yeah. kill yourself. Eesh. But I mean, you know, maybe he was freaked. Windows returns to the base while McCready and Nalls go investigate McCready's shack because last time he was there, he left the he turned the lights out. I love that. <laughs> And on their way back, Nalls cuts the line and leaves McCready in the snowstorm, thinking he's been assimilated after he finds McCready's clothes in the shack. Yeah. Torn. Because this thing rips through your clothes when it transforms. But that's so interesting, because we know McCready's human. So the fact that this thing planted that... Yes. ...is pretty remarkable. Yeah. It's planning ahead. They're like, I need I need to make them question the only guy they don't question. This yet. alien is giving them a red herring. That's remarkable. Incredible. It's a game of chess. Chess wizard. <laughs> and, you know, big old flamethrower and a bundle of dynamite is basically, you know, whiskey in the in the CPU. <laughs> right here. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> Oof. Uh, so the team debates, you know, should we let McCready back inside? Is he human? How do we know? But McCready breaks in and just makes that decision for them. Yeah, he's like, no, guys, I'm... <laughs> Taking charge here. And he picks up a bundle of dynamite and is like, you light me up, you light this up, and we all go. So what's it going to be? <laughs> and during this, Norris has a heart attack. And that leads to possibly my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> it's so fucking grisly. They go to give, uh, they go to resuscitate Norris, and they, get, they got the defibrillator, and Copper goes to defib, and his chest turns into a giant fucking mouth. And bites off Copper's arms. Incredible. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's so brutal, man. It's shocking. Ugh. Still. It always will be. Yeah. Because there's not any time for you to, like, blink. It's just, yeah. It just happens. <laughs> like, pop, pop. It's amazing. I love it because, you know, nobody even considers Norris being the infiltrator. Oh, no. Everyone thinks it's McCready. Yeah, exactly. It's, ugh. But that's what I want to bring up. Like, why would this thing fake a heart attack if it's in control here? I don't know. Because all this does is reveal who's like that he's one of them. I yeah. I feel like there's no, like he has nothing to gain from that. 
I don't know. Does he really care? Or maybe I don't. Maybe he's I'm just going to win. Maybe this is anarchy to him. He's this is chaos. He's just enjoying. I'm going this. to win. Do I look like a guy with a plan? <laughs> uh, and then the this green shit comes out of the guy out of his oh, mouth cap or his dude. chest cavity. Like, I don't know what that shit is. There's that so shot where you can see the head hanging like off the table. Ooh, what a shot! That roar of the it's thing, like, tongue, like, like ah, its yeah. head just ripping off its body with this roar, and everyone's just like. You know, freaking out. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's really wonderful. It's a, like an art. It's artistic. It's really amazing. Yeah. McCready incinerates the giant creature, but the head gets away by becoming a spider. Jesus. Anarchy. <laughs> I love Palmer's just like, you've got to be fucking kidding. It's perfect. Ugh. Apparently, Kurt Russell loves that line and laughs every time he hears it. <laughs> if you ever see him, you know what to say. <laughs> And McCready burns that too, but and now they're like, "Fuck, <laughs> that was crazy." <laughs> so McCready has a plan, and uh, he's in. Uh, Clark tries to jump him, and McCready straight up shoots him in the face. Yeah, which is pretty nuts. Hey. And he doesn't feel guilty about that at no, all. Like that's he, that's when you're like, okay, we don't know what this guy's done before no, prior this prior is, to this life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of like Escape from New York. You're like, hmm, who is this guy really? <laughs> if he's able to do that with no hesitation, yeah, I don't know. I think that sometime after this, McCready joined the Marines, lost an eye, ended up in New York Penitentiary. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and then coached a hockey team. Started calling himself Snake. Was a long-haul trucker for a while. Did some stuff in Chinatown. <laughs> He's had an interesting life. <laughs> Stopped drinking, started smoking. Yeah. And somehow became oh, a giant planet god in space. <laughs> you never know. Hey. Kurt Russell. <laughs> I'll tell you sometime. <laughs> awesome. <clears throat> so he's going to... Um, he starts thinking that when he saw the thing's head come off and like run, you know, scurry away. Yikes! He, <laughs> Yikes! Yeah, man. Just fuck that, dude. Like, <laughs> it's so that. grisly. I would just lose my mind. I, I, I would, I would freak out, man. Norris I'd want to kick that thing too. so hard. I don't know. I, <laughs> have you seen? You watch Workaholics ever? No. I tried. I couldn't get into it. I, that's fair. I, I'm not into it anymore. I used to be like heavy into it. There's an episode where where they they get their house gets infested by rats, and they just are like we have to get rid of them like and so they just start kicking them and that's how I feel about this this monster is I I just feel like I would want to kick it as hard as I can, kind of like Vince LaSalle in Recess yeah just fucking whack that thing I don't know fuck that I I'd be afraid to touch this thing you just run or yes. yeah, you're trapped dude you're trapped I will take my chance go outside in the fucking tundra. Against this son of a bitch? You, yeah. Jesus Christ. They will find me frozen to death. <laughs> but I will not turn into one of these. <laughs> I will not get eaten by the fucking dog face. It's spider, not going to happen to me. Spider thing. Oh, God. I'm not ending up in Doris's chest. It's not happening to me. Oh, God. <laughs> I got to see this on the big screen a few years ago. Oh, nice. They did a uh, showing at Draft House around winter. I went with my grandpa and my That's uncle. That's great. And we just had a great fucking time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Three generations and just enjoying this movie. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but 
McCready realizes that because this thing tried to scurry away, every piece of this thing is an individual life form with its own instinct its to own survive. Organism, yeah. So you could take and you could threaten any piece of this thing, and it will freak out and try to you know scurry. So he takes blood samples from everybody in there and starts testing it with a heated piece of wire. And this is a scene that has been parodied in so many different things. People look at this as one of the most brilliant bits of horror ever, and they're not fucking wrong. Oh, because he's, you know, he, they all think it's Gary. Yes. And McCready's convinces Gary, he's like, you know, you, you're the only one who could have gotten to the blood, so we're going to do you last. And he puts the wire in Palmer's blood, and it freaks out. Yep. And Palmer's like, well, jigs up, and starts morphing. And they're all tied to him, and they're like, get up the fuck out yeah, of here. Yeah, they're like on the bench. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> and the fucking flamethrower won't work. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's what you get. Oh, man. Ugh. So good. So freaky, man. Just when the, the thing just pops out of the blood, like, Frit! oh, Jesus Christ. That noise was spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> but, like, freaky monster Palmer grabs Windows by the head and starts shaking him around. Jesus Christ. Brutality. And, if, you know, that infects Windows, and so McCready has to kill them both, burns Palmer and Windows to death with the flamethrower. Ugh. And Childs is left on guard while the others go to test Blair with this uh, method. And they find that Blair has escaped the shed. And he's been using vehicle components to assemble a spacecraft. Genius. That's exactly what I would have been doing, I think. Yeah. Like, all right. Which These guys you, are distracted as fuck. We got some cool stuff around here. It makes you wonder how long has Blair been one of these things? Oh, the whole man. movie? Like, the whole times? Since he was doing the autopsy? Pop Definitely possible. Yeah. God damn. I love that scene earlier where they go to talk to Blair. Blair's like, hey, 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 I want to come back inside. Yeah, like, come on, man. Let me back inside. I, I, I've calmed down. Yeah, that's not human right there. Human Blair would be like, what the fuck are you guys doing to me? Like, yeah. get, let me back it's in. It's fucking freezing out here. <laughs> yeah. The alien Blair's, you know, trying to be subtle. Come on. Let me back in. Yeah. They're no. going to be fine. Ugh. I want to come back inside. <laughs> it's cold. So they start realizing the survivors, I think it's McCready, Childs, Nalls, and that's it, I think, right? Yeah. And Gary. And Gary, I was just saying, yeah, and old boy Gary. They realize that they're probably not making it out of this alive. There's only, they gotta take this thing down by any means necessary. And that means that sacrificing themselves is kind of the only option. Yeah. And when they go back, Childs is gone. And the power generator is destroyed. McCready re realizes that the thing is probably intending to go back into hibernation and wait for the rescue team. It, it you know, it froze for a hundred thousand years and it was fine. What's another, you know, a month? Yeah. <laughs> so McCready, Gary, and Knowles go to detonate the entire station to destroy the thing, and they blow up the whole goddamn base. But as they're setting explosives, Blair comes out of nowhere and kills Gary by like Pushing his hand into his face. It was so freaking incredible. And Nalls vanishes too. Blair transforms into a giant creature, destroys the detonator, but McCready triggers the explosive using a stick of dynamite with a great, you know, last one-liner. The thing roars at him and McCready just goes, yeah, fuck you too. And chucks <laughs> the dynamite at him. God damn. Blows up Blair thing. And McCready survives it and he just goes and sits... As the station burns, and what do you know? Childs comes back. 
saying he got lost in the storm and he's exhausted and you know they're both like well this is it and the child says what should we do and McCready says why don't we just sit here for a while and see what happens as everything's burning around them he passes child a drink child drinks it and they both just kind of sit there that's the end of the movie it's ambiguous you don't know who's human and who's not yep so what do you think do you think Childs is the thing. Yes. Yeah. I do. You can see in his eyes. I think. No breath either. And and I think that he's. Yeah, I think that's gasoline, not scotch. Yeah. 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 That's why McCready has that small smile. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm glad we both are on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's not obvious, but I think it's like it's there. I think it's there, and it's there the whole movie. The the yeah. eye thing I think is very real. Um, and you're like, well, why why would they not notice that? It's like. Is that what you'd be looking for if you were in this freezing fucking place, like, you know, freaking out? No, you know. Yeah. Uh, this movie's incredibly humane, you know, like, the way they respond to each other, the way they act. And they never make that connection with the eyes. That's us. They never realize that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's really it's really amazing. Over time, yeah, of course, people are going to dissect the shit out of uh, anything, and especially movies we love. And The Thing is a movie we love, and, yeah, I, I think it's definitely Childs. And, <laughs> I, what? Which is awesome. Like, yeah. It's such a brilliant ending. I love it. I, I love how they're like, just sit here for a while. Have you seen the, uh, I, I think it's, uh, I don't know if it's a post-credits or like a, a, a uh, deleted ending. Have you seen that one? Mm. One of the dogs runs into the Arctic. Oh, okay. It's like, fuck. Yeah. It's yeah. going to get the civilization. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> it's a dog. Yeah. Oh, you can't stop this thing. It's biological. Brilliant. That's the thing. One of the best movies fucking ever, man. It's, it's amazing. You could as soon as it's over, you could put it right back on again and watch it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to watch it right now. You know, yeah, it's man. one of those just put it on. I'm good. Uh, see me. In, you'll see me in a couple hours. You know. <laughs> so there was a video game made in 2002 called The Thing. It was a continuation of the movie, and it follows a special forces team sent to Outpost 31 to find out what happened to the research team. It was released on PlayStation 2 and Xbox. Didn't do very well because they were going to make another one, and they didn't. I do have this game. I've played a bit of it. It's, it's okay. But apparently it explains what happened to McCready and Childs. McCready got rescued. Childs froze to death. He was human. <laughs> and apparently wow. this is canon, so that's, that's a bummer. How about that? Yeah. There was a prequel film made in 2011, also called The Thing. That told the story of the Norwegian research team that found the alien in the ice. The film stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Joel Edgerton, Eric Christian Olsen, and Adewale Akinoye Agbaje. It was panned for using poor CGI instead of practical effects. That is an IMDb score of 6.2 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 35%. I have seen this. It's fucking god-awful. Yep. <laughs> because you can't replicate a movie like this with computers. You just can't do it. It's impossible. It looks fake. It is impossible. It's insincere. And yeah, I know they're going to remake this again someday, and I don't want them to. Of course they are. But I know that's ironic considering this is a remake, but it's a remake that stands out, did its own thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So here's some filmgasm facts. Number one, John Carpenter has stated that of all his films, this is his personal favorite. Sweet. That's awesome. (laughs) That's interesting. Through all of his stuff, I would have thought Escape from New York would be his favorite. But yeah, I, I think he hates Halloween. <laughs> I wonder why. Because it was popular. I don't think he, he he didn't like being famous. He didn't want his name to be out there like 
just want to make his movies, do his music, and, and fuck everything else. Move on, yeah. Number two, in 1982, before its release, Fangoria Magazine had a contest. People were asked to draw the thing to see if anyone could guess what it was going to look like. The winner won a trip to Universal Studios, and I'm guessing nobody won that trip. Because <laughs> who the fuck would have guessed this? <laughs> True, yeah. Well, how would you draw one version of, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way. I gotta imagine, like, some kid drew, like, a head with some spider legs, and they're like, fuck, close. Like a weird dog thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Or Binnings with a claw. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Number three. The Sci-Fi Channel planned to make a four-hour miniseries sequel in 2003, but nothing ever came of it. And number four. Part of the fear instilled into the thing came from the AIDS epidemic that was making itself known at the time. The idea that you couldn't tell who was infected just by looking at them, only blood tests would reveal it, was not lost on John Carpenter. And I've never thought about that, but this movie is a very interesting metaphor for the AIDS epidemic. <laughs> of course. Carpenter. Jesus. And I give this movie a 10. It's one of the greatest horror masterpieces ever made. Yeah, it's a 10 for me as well. I thought about that for a long time. Uh, what, what exactly makes it a 10? And... That would be that I've seen it now, you know, multiple times, and each time it grows, like, exponentially. Uh, my, my adoration for it, new things I learn about it, uh, my appreciation, new appreciation for the past couple of years of Carpenter, you know? All these things uh, factor into it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty much a perfect movie. Right on. So, yeah, it's a, a, and again, it's so cool to have, like, a, a horror movie, you know, in that. In that regard, you know, yeah. it's just perfect. I have no problem saying that. It's, it's endlessly rewatchable, and it's just so, so unique, so fascinating, so enjoyable, and yes. it's ambiguous. Like you can, you know, the ending. Like you can take it any way. You can take anything any it, way you it want. It all works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wonderful. It's, it's awesome. So, yeah. what do we got for Friday's bonus? Friday's bonus is really special. We uh, this is the first time we have an outside guest. Yes, we do. That's, you know, this will be the first time it's not just you and I recording. Uh, we have your my uncle, uncle Sean. Yeah, my uh, screenwriter Sean Bridges has agreed to participate in our bonus episode on Friday because it's one of his all-time favorite movies, and he it's, has yeah some great insight on this. He does. It's a it's also a John Carpenter, and it's uh, Escape from New York, 1981's Escape from New York. Yeah, obviously Kurt Russell, obviously John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. so it seemed seemed really easy to choose this one. Yeah, and like you said, it was a good opportunity to um, get Sean on board, and um, I, I look forward to talking to him again. Yeah, uh, we've recorded this already. It's a kick-ass bonus. Yeah, I'm super excited for people to listen to it. Uh, I, I, I'm proud. I'm really proud of this week. These are two awesome, awesome movies. Um, and you know, we're gonna keep coming, keep the carpenter coming. That's for sure, man. Oh hell yeah! Right on, man. So let's take a look at what happened this week in film. Oh boy, and did stuff happen? Oh my god. First up, let's talk about the many trailers that were dropped this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting. We got the full trailer for Mulan. I think it looks great. I think it looks really cool too. Yeah, I'm. I think it's interesting that they're doing their own story. That's new yes, for this yeah. whole thing. And it looks like well, it's. That's kind of what I think they need need to do. I agree. I agree. Is not necessarily change it. You know, you don't need to change everything, but yeah, have a new story. Kind of surprise us. Don't do like the Lion King where it's like. Da, 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 by the da, numbers. Da. Yeah, that's not fun for. No. That's not fun for half the people watching it. No. You know. Yeah, maybe the kids who haven't. You know. Who are like really young who are watching. I, I that's just unfair to a lot of people who are seeing it, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm excited. Mulan's one of my favorite Disney movies already be, before, but now 
with this whole live action thing. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Oh, for sure. Then we have the Black Widow trailer, which looks interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board because Marvel can do no wrong in my eyes. Yeah, well, I'm on board big time because I love her to death and it's one of my favorite characters. I think they waited way too long to give Black Widow her own movie. Uh, I think agreed. it's a bit overdue and I'm wondering if it might be too late. Yeah. Is it past due? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll see. But, you know, it's got a great supporting cast. Florence Pugh, Rachel Weisz, David Harbour. Oh, yeah. We're getting it's awesome. a Taskmaster for the first time. Awesome so. folks out here. Yeah. Pretty sweet. It's a prequel, obviously, because, you know, she's dead. Spoiler alert, but that's not my fault at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have the trailer for No Time to Die, the uh, new James Bond movie. Long awaited, Daniel Craig's final performance. And it looks fucking awesome. Yes, it does. I'm very excited for that, of course. It's a direct sequel, which is weird for James Bond. Direct sequel to Spectre. Uh, Leah Sidhu and Christoph Waltz both uh, returning. Yes. Christoph Waltz as like a Hannibal Lecter-style Blofeld, which will be really cool. Super excited. Million bucks, he, re- he escapes from prison. Rami oh, Malek yeah. is one of his guys or something. He's his son or some shit. But I'm excited. I love the James Bond franchise. I'm excited to see what Kerry Fukunaga does to the franchise. And, and uh, this is it for Craig. So. This is it. Yeah, super Bring excited. Bring it on. I'm excited to hear who does the, the uh, theme song. I can't oh, wait. That's, that's always fun. fun. I heard they were talking to Adele about doing another one. Oh, that'd be great. I always, I do like if it's different, though, just to have different artists. It's I've fun. always wanted Florence and the Machine to do it. That, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> Next up, we had the trailer for Free Guy, a weird-looking movie starring Ryan Reynolds as a NPC, a non-playable character, who realizes that his life is a video game, and he starts breaking the rules. Very strange idea. It looks interesting. I feel like without Ryan Reynolds, this would be kind of a, a flop, but I think he's going to make it worth watching. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll probably go see it, yeah, just because I... Why not? After Deadpool, yeah, he kind of has my attention. <laughs> for sure. He's hilarious. Next up, the trailer for Wonder Woman 1984. I want to like this but I feel like they're they're taking some weird chances here yeah why is Chris Pine back <laughs> I get that he was popular but I don't want it to mess with the story you know and what is the story even like where is the <laughs> continuity with any of this now that DC's kind of pulled the plug no idea <laughs> so I don't who fucking knows <laughs> man but you know I mean Patty Jenkins is directing it Gal Gadot did a great job in the first one mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll be good it's going to do well, yeah. And finally, Ghostbusters Afterlife. The surpri- surprise Ghostbusters movie that was announced le- uh, earlier this year seems to have been fast-tracked, or they were filming it in secret and never told anybody. Finally sees the return of Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Sigourney Weaver to the franchise. Harold Ramis unfortunately passed away, and Rick Moranis will not come out of retirement. <laughs> but, you know, you got to work with what you got. Exactly. Newcomers, Paul Rudd, Finn Wolfhard, other people who I don't remember. (laughs) Lots, yeah. Directed by Jason Reitman, son of Ghostbusters director Ivan Reitman. I think it's going to be great. I'm wicked excited. Looks Looks like, yeah. yeah. The trailer looks like there's like tender care taken, you know. Yes. Yeah, which, you know, Reitman, obviously. Oh, for sure. It's going to be awesome. Great trailers. We got a lot of trailers this week. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Next up, Disney is working on a spin-off of their live-action movie Aladdin, which would focus on the briefly seen and forgettable Prince Anders, played by Billy Magnuson. Who is this for? 
Not me. I saw Aladdin. I don't remember who the fuck Prince Anders is. He's in like one scene. He's the only white dude in Agrabah. Why are they making a movie out of him? Like who? Who cares? He's the only white dude in Agrabah. He's relatable. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> fuck <Ridiculous>. that! <laughs> oh my god! Not every idea what is a waste a good of one. money. What a waste of energy. Yeah. Whoever's writing that, write something else. <laughs> Christ. Next up, Stephen Graham has joined the cast of Venom 2 in an undisclosed role. I love Stephen Graham. Mm-hmm. Fucking great. Mm-hmm. We both do. Yeah. He was in, most recently, in The Irishman as a... Oh, what was his name? I don't remember his name. There's so many people in that. And it, obviously, we just watched it. it not Tony too something. Ah, fuck it. Well, I'm sure he'll be great. I wonder who he's going to play. Probably some kind of street tough. Billy Bremner. George Miller has announced that his next project will be a follow-up to 2015's Mad Max Fury Road, currently titled Mad Max The Wasteland. Hey. It's supposed to be a prequel. And I'll believe it when I see it, because he's been talking about this for years. Yeah, same. Took him 40 years to get Fury Road off the ground, so we'll see. <laughs> Joe Johnston is being courted to direct a remake of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, currently titled Shrunk and starring Josh Gad. Joe Johnston directed the the original movie. And I don't care for this. Neither do I. I don't like Josh Gad. I find him annoying. I think he's extremely annoying. Yeah. And I I don't want to see a remake of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Neither do I. The original hasn't aged all that well. Uh, Yeah, I... Again, waste of energy. Whoever's writing this, write something else. <laughs> you think those people ever have a realization where they're like, I am just part of the problem? <laughs> oh, yeah, but then they see that paycheck and they're like, fuck, I gotta I feel like writers rent. don't see that paycheck very often. For these movies, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anybody does write these movies. I think they just throw keywords into a machine and they shit out a script. That's how it feels anyway. Have you seen Under the Silver Lake? No. There's a scene where there's a guy who, like, talks about... He's like... You don't have to see it, but he's playing the piano and singing all these songs. And he's like, I made all these songs. I'm the generator... You know, talking like that. Like, all these things. You're like, can we get some some nuance? Some originality, please? Please? Uh. Disney has announced that they are working on a new Planet of the Apes movie, now that they own the film rights. No word yet on whether it'll be a continuation of the Caesar trilogy or its own entity. I would bet it's its own entity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's a profitable franchise. Of course, Disney's going to pursue that. And who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Yeah, they've done some They've done some cool stuff. Yeah. So, Finally, the Golden Globe nominations were announced. Indeed. And we're going to read off all the entire list of film nominees. Not TV, though, because fuck them. Yeah, I just don't give a shit. <laughs> like, like, like there's, there's just so many, like... Pfft. What? Like, you're giving... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just don't care. All the TV shows I watch, they don't care about. Best motion picture drama. 1917, Joker, Marriage Story, The Irishman, and The Two Popes. Interesting. 1917's not out yet. I am very much looking forward to that. Yeah, I can't wait. Some men does, yeah. I mean... Two Popes also comes out on Netflix this month. Correct. Very excited. I'll be watching that one as well, yeah. Best motion picture musical or comedy... Dolomite is my name, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Rocket Man. You've seen all of those. I have. I've seen all those except for Knives Out. I'm about to. Wa- I'm about to watch Knives Out soon, though. Um, <coughs> yeah, I just don't understand the uh, whole comedy musical. Thing. It's the Globes. Who fucking cares? 
It's the, the Hollywood Foreign Press, yeah. You you guys just, like, have some fucking growing up to do, basically. Like, what are you, 10? This is know. just that you can sh- stroke your ego with celebrities. Yep. Best motion picture animated, Frozen 2, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, Missing Link, The Lion King, and Toy Story 4. The Lion King made me laugh because I guess it is all animated. It's supposed to be live action, but it's not, animated. Not a strong group of films there. Not really. Toy Story 4's got it in the bag. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, not even close. Best motion picture, foreign language, Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, Parasite, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and The Farewell. All I've heard are great films. I've seen yeah, The Farewell. We got to see The Farewell. I saw Parasite. What else is on there? Les Miserables. I haven't seen that. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I definitely plan on seeing that one. Yeah. And Pain and Glory with Antonio Banderas. Yeah, that looks amazing. <laughs> Best actor, motion picture drama. Adam Driver, Marriage Story. Antonio Banderas, Pain and Glory. Christian Bale, Ford v. Ferrari. Joaquin Phoenix, Joker. And Jonathan Price, The Two Popes. Interesting list. The Two Popes is getting a lot of attention. Yes, it is. I think Joaquin's got it in the bag, frankly. Best Actress Motion Picture Drama. Charlize Theron, Bombshell. Cynthia Erivo, Cynthia Harriet. Renee Zellweger, Judy. Saoirse Ronan, Little Women. Scarlett Johansson, Marriage Story. Interesting bunch. Mm-hmm. Best Actor Musical Comedy. Daniel Craig, Knives Out. Eddie Murphy, Dolomite Is My Name. Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Roman Griffin Davis, Jojo Rabbit. Taron Egerton, Rocket Man. I did not expect Roman Griffin Davis to get a nomination. Neither did I. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's like one of the only good things about the Gloves is that like a guy like him gets a chance because there's all these fucking categories, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. And it's cool that like, you know, the Gloves, which last year they were, they were like huge in awarding, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody and then the Oscars gave Rami Malek up. But I... I they obviously didn't overlook uh, Rocket Man, and um, that's cool, you know. But they they appreciate a film like that, so because I I, re- I really like Edgerton's uh, performance in that. Yeah. Best performance actor by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy: Ana de Armas, Knives Out, Aquafina, The Farewell, Beanie Feldstein, Booksmart, Kate Blanchett, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, Emma Thompson, Late Night. Just what? What? <laughs> Placeholder. Uh, like, oh my goodness, man. This category. <laughs> I feel bad. I, I've i seen, like, Booksmart, Beanie Feldstein. Awesome movie. She's awesome. Jonah Hill's sister, actually. <coughs> Great movie. In what world are we going to, like, put her in the same? I, I just don't understand why she's, like, up for a Golden Globe. I don't, I, I don't get it. Yeah. But they're just stretching. Emma Thompson? Late night? I'm like, what in the fuck? Here's a girl. Yeah, here's here's a, a a woman who's been nominated for an Oscar back in the 90s, you know, Sense and Sensibility, and, like, is an awesome British performer. And I'm like, I, that just seems almost disrespectful to her. <laughs> like, what, what is this? This category is stretching so far to, like, ooh, I guess we'll pull that one. Yeah, I, th- I think that performance is good enough. Like, I, I don't, it's, it's almost like, giving a, a ribbons out for participating. And yeah. Because there's too many. It makes it feel less prestigious because it's just, there's too many. There's too many. I agree. Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture. Al Pacino, The Irishman. Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes. Brad Pitt, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
Joe Pesci, The Irishman. Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's a strong group of, of dudes there. Oh, yeah. Brad Pitt. All winners. Brad Pitt did win an Oscar for producing 12 Years a Slave, exactly. so he does count. Yes, he does. All winners. Best Supporting Actress, Annette Bening, The Report, Jennifer Lopez, Hustlers, Kathy Bates, Richard Jewell, Laura Dern, Marriage Story, Margot Robbie, Bombshell. Nice group right there, too. Seems kind of weak to me. J-Lo? Yeah. Really? You haven't even seen Hustlers. Yeah, but I fucking hate her. Oh, man. You guys, Hustlers. She's unbelievable in Hustlers. Yeah. I don't like her either. I've never seen... I like Enough also, but yeah, Hustlers is an awesome, awesome I despise movie. her as a person. That's fine. Me too. Yeah, I don't like... Um, there's plenty of people I don't like yeah. <laughs> in Hollywood. Best Director. Bong Joon-ho, Parasite. Martin Scorsese, The Irishman. Quentin Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sam Mendes, 1917. Todd Phillips, Joker. That is anyone's game, frankly. I agreed. Best Screenplay. Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. Parasite, Bong Joon-ho. The Irishman, Stephen Zalian. The Two Popes, Anthony McCartan. Best Original Song. Beautiful Ghosts from Cats. Into the Unknown from Frozen 2. Stand Up from Harriet. Spirit from The Lion King, and I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man. I really hope Rocket Man takes it. Yeah, man. Please. And finally, Best Original Score. 1917, Thomas Newman. Little Women, Alexander Desplat. Marriage Story, Randy Newman. Motherless Brooklyn, Daniel Pemberton. And Joker, Hildor Gunadotir Icelandic name. <laughs> so... That's the that's the nominees for uh, the movie categories of the Golden Globes. I'm gonna watch them, but as always, oh, I'm course. not really gonna give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I'm yeah. an Oscar guy. Me too. Um, we're we're movie guys. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we just want we want things to be represented and <laughs> respected. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed the thing. Feel free to send us some feedback. Follow us on our social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes. And really, the best thing you can do is just tell people about it. Spread the good word. Preach it far and wide. Yeah. Next week, we're tackling a Christmas horror classic from cult director Joe Dante. 1984's Gremlins. Woo! A race of freaky little creatures takes over a small town around Christmas. And only Billy Peltzer and his faithful pet Mogwai Gizmo can stop them. Perfect horror flick for the holidays. Don't miss it. And until then... Please don't unearth any ancient aliens from a frozen slumber and try to stay human as long as possible.